We're taking our time through the book of Jonah. If you are new to us this fall or if you're just here today, um, we are taking our time as we go through the book of Jonah to the hope of being confronted with God's character and seeing the character of God that we would see our own characters more clearly, um, but that we would also be shaped and transformed by this word. I've talked with you guys about this a lot, and in the images that might come in your head of being shaped and transformed, I want you to know I think of this as deeper than a suntan or, or a sunburn for those of you that don't tan. It's not like getting out into the sun and, and the sun beating down on you and, and changing you just on the outside. It, it's actually deeper than, than what happens when you eat garlic and you, know, you go out and you sweat and you smell garlic. It's, it's deeper than that. We're talking about the sensation of being in God's Word, almost like us practicing something year after year after year after year, so much so that the response, not just of our muscles, which is an amazing thing to see the response of a, the muscles of an athlete who is you know, well-trained, respond in a way, but the response of our hearts being changed. That's what we're going after. We're sitting in it like that. I thought of you this weekend. I went to a deli, a famous deli, and after you ordered your sandwich, they asked you, do you want an, a new pickle or do you want an old pickle? And it made me think of you guys um, because we've talked about how we want a pickle in God's word. And trust me, I did not take the new pickle. I went after the old pickle. Um, it, it, it was different. It's like, not like a pickle I've ever had before. But it made me think of the impact that we want God's word to have in our hearts. And especially with this book of Jonah, we've talked about the way that it's set up and how it ends in questions. How it is here, um, and, and it's a story about a real-life figure, Jonah, the son of Amittai, mentioned for us in another place in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 14, but also a character who Jesus references. And I've been insistent upon this idea that we not dismiss this as fictional, that we don't dismiss it as a parable, though some read it that way. And next week we're going to talk about one of the miraculous elements to this. Almost every aspect of God's intervention here is miraculous. But the reason that I want you to sit in this is because I want us to realize that every generation of God's people needs this story. Every generation of us needs to be reminded of the truths here in Jonah. We're drawn into Jonah because Jonah, who is the one who is supposed to be speaking on behalf of God, so often demonstrates the exact opposite of who God is. The God, at least, who reveals himself in Scripture and for whom Jonah is supposed to be a prophet. In fact, today you see it much more evident in the life of the sailors than really in the life of Jonah. And I want you to see that this main theme is a theme that continues to shape God's people. And it needs to shape us today. God calls us to proclaim Him. God calls His people, the church, to proclaim Him within the storms of life. This is an amazing reality that we see through this, this section of Jonah. 
The way that I think that these verses can be organized is this idea of the seas. If you pay attention, there's something about the seas in each of them. The seas increase, and after they determine that it's Jonah who is the one who is causing the problems, the first thing is that the seas increase, and and the question that is there in verses 11 and 12 is, are we in this together or are we separate in this? The seas continue to increase again, it tells us in verse 13. And so in 13 and 14 and 15, I want us to see that as the seas increase, we see the shadow of a reality that is poured out in Scripture for us. The idea of one being sacrificed for the many. And then finally in verses 15 and 16, as the seas are silented, what we see is the fear of silence and how that shapes us. So look at these with me, if you will. Again, the main theme, God calls us to proclaim him within the storms of life. And here we see this in verses 11, 12, and the first part of 13. Look at him again, page 774. Then they, and again, they are the sailors, they say to him, Jonah, what shall we do to you that the seas might quiet down for us. They ask this question, what are we supposed to do to you so that the seas might quiet down for us? I told you that as these seas grew more and more tempestuous is the word that is used here, we ask the question, are we in this together or are we separate? And you're not exactly sure from the way that the sailors ask the question, what should we do to you so that the seas might quiet down for us? Or are they just talking about us, the sailors, not including Jonah? Are they talking about including Jonah? And Jonah responds to them in verse 12, and he, see, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. It's obvious where Jonah is with this. Jonah is on the other side of separate or together. He is on the side of separate for sure. Hurl me, pick me up and hurl me into the seas, and then the seas will quiet down for you. And then... We understand where the sailors are in verse 13. Or excuse me, it goes on to say in verse 12, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. But then in verse 13, we see where the sailors are. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The question about this storm This storm has arisen because of the disobedience of Jonah. Jonah was told, we were told in the first three verses, that he was supposed to go to Nineveh and cry out against it because the evil of that city had come up before the Lord. Jonah doesn't do that, but rather goes in the opposite direction and disobeys God. So we have the command of God, His holiness. He has every right to command our lives and you have the disobedience of humanity and it equals the storm. And the question is for us, as we look at this, are we in this together or separately? And again, what we see is that where we would hope to see from Jonah the idea that we're in this together, we see from him that he's focused on the separateness of himself and the sailors, while the sailors are focused on the togetherness, right? Jonah says to them, hey, look, 
Just throw me overboard. Pick me up and hurl me out. It's beautiful writing because as God hurls the car or, or the storm at the sailors, the sailors then hurl the cargo into the sea. And now Jonah says, the solution for you will be for you to then hurl me into the sea. It's such a tight story, one that's exciting to sit in. Jonah had the opportunity to cry out and repent. What should we do to you so that God or so that this storm might cease for us, right? Jonah had the opportunity to say, let me cry out to God. Why don't we cry out to God? We need to cry out to God and to repent. But Jonah doesn't do that. Instead, he determines a solution that has him being picked up and hurled over so that the sea might quiet for them. The sailors, on the other hand, rode hard. They said, no, we, we didn't have in mind killing you. That was not our idea. They heard what Jonah said, but it is obvious that they thought, we don't want you to die. We're in this together. And so they rode hard against the waves, trying to get back to land, but they weren't able to. In fact, it says that as they tried that, the sea actually grew more and more tempestuous against them. And this question for us, as those who are followers of Christ, people of God, His church, the question of what do we do when the, the holiness of God comes into conflict with the sinfulness of humanity and we find ourselves in the storm with the world, I think one of the questions that is asked of us, are we in this together or are we separate? I had a crazy experience this weekend. I went to the largest football game I've ever been to. I went to the University of Michigan and watched this football game. It was enormous. And I was pressured into wearing blue because everybody I was told was either going to wear blue or yellow, and I had the wrong color yellow, so I wasn't going to wear the yellow. So, so I wore the blue, but I had this feeling that I didn't belong. But as we walked into this stadium with over 100,000 people doing the same cheers and the same chants and the same hand motions, you could just feel yourself getting sucked in. And you sensed this reality that maybe I could belong to this crowd. Maybe I do belong to this. And I think I was the only one there who was thinking about Jonah at all and this idea of separate or, or together. And my eye fixed on the one red jersey from Ohio State that I saw there. And I'm not from the Midwest, and so I don't understand the gravity of somebody wearing an Ohio State jersey at a Michigan game. But I know enough about football, and when there are 110,000 fans together, that the one guy who is wearing the red Ohio State jersey is not the guy who's saying, I'm with you all. <laughs> He's the guy saying, I am separate from this. And what is astonishing is that Jonah reminds us of the tendency of our own hearts to separate ourselves from the world around us. You see, the people of God, from the beginning of God's promise to Abraham, were told that they were going to be a blessing to the world. In fact, 
God told Abraham that through him, he would raise up a whole nation that would bless every nation on earth. When that nation was coming out of Egypt in Exodus 19, God told them, look, you are going to be a kingdom of priests for me. In Jeremiah 29, it's even clearer that God said, I'm asking you to pray on behalf of the people into whom I send you into exile because in their welfare, you're going to find your own welfare. And this idea of the church continuing to identify together with the world in which we are in goes on. First Peter says that we are a kingdom of priests who are to proclaim God's excellencies in the world where we live. And then Revelation says it in Revelation 1, in Revelation 5, in Revelation 10. That we are to be priests to God. Portraying who he is. And I have this question. How do you view the storm of this life? The brokenness, the suffering, the chaos of God's Holiness crashing in with human, human sin. Both the brokenness that impacted the world from the very beginning, but that brokenness now. Do you think we are together or do you think we're separate? I think that's a question that Jonah forces us to ask. I think it's a question that the Bible will surprise you. And maybe you as a non-Christian, you go, wait a minute. Is God actually encouraging that he's actually with us in this? Because that would be really good news. Well, hang on. Because again, I want you to see that the main theme is that God calls us to proclaim him. I'm picking up this language from Peter's letter to the church. To proclaim him, his excellencies, within the storm of life. You see in verses 13 and 14 and 15, the storms increase all the more. And what we see is a shadow of a reality that is to come. We see this idea of a shadow of reality. Pick it up with me in verse 13. Look at what it says. It says that they could not get back to the dry land. And then in the last part of verse 13, it explains why. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And this time it says, against them against the sailors so that they couldn't get back to dry land. They couldn't do it. And then verse 14 says, therefore they called out to the Lord. And if you've read so far in the book of Jonah, you would raise your hand and say, finally, somebody has called out to the Lord. Somebody finally has called out to the Lord. It was way back earlier in this chapter when when the captain came to Jonah and said, would you please cry out to your God? But we haven't seen Jonah do that once. We haven't seen him do it once. And finally, the sailors cry out to their God, to, to the Lord, and notice that it says Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the name, the personal name of the God of the Scriptures the name that Jonah said and used, I worship Yahweh, the creator of the seas and of the dry lands. And they cry out to that Yahweh. They say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Verse 15, the first part. 
So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. They obeyed Jonah's idea. They said, we have done everything that we can. And this guy said that what you needed to do was to pick him up and throw him into the sea. They had no idea that Jonah would be saved. And there's absolutely no reason why they would have had any idea that Jonah would be saved. They fully expected that they were putting to death Jonah. That they threw him into the sea as Jonah had suggested. Now it's really interesting that Jonah suggests being thrown into the sea. The commentators don't know what to make of this. Did Jonah want to die rather than going to Nineveh? Was he saying in his mind, look, God is obviously after me. If he gets me, I'm going to be forced to go to Nineveh somehow. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Just throw me into the sea. Had Jonah given up? Was there something about Jonah that his compassion began to open for the sailors? His heart began to be changed for those who didn't know who God was, the God of the Scriptures. At any rate, Jonah said, throw me into the sea so that you will be saved, right? And you see this really shadowy idea of one being saved for many. This idea of substitution of my life for the life of others. And you know, it, it began to make me think of what it was like when Jesus, after he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and all the people began to come to him and say, you could change everything for us. And the Pharisees got together and said, Look, if we let this Jesus continue to teach and to preach, the people are all going to leave us and we're going to lose control of everything and even Rome will come and crush us. And it says that, that at that time, Caiaphas, who was the high priest, proclaimed something in John 11 and he actually says it would be better if one died instead of an entire nation dying. And John notes that Caiaphas says this and he said... Caiaphas didn't even understand what he was saying, but he was prophesying, and it would turn out to be a reality in the life of Christ, the Son of God who would come and die so that the many would be saved. And you see here, I'm not convinced that Jonah says this because he in any way has a desire to make something clearer about who Yahweh is and how merciful Yahweh is. But Jesus picks up on this story of Jonah when he references Jonah, and he says that the Ninevites who would eventually hear Jonah would repent, and he said, but someone is here who is even greater than Jonah. And we get this idea that in what is a shadow of a reality of Jonah and his death for the salvation of others becomes a reality in Christ when Jesus says there is one who is here who is even greater than Jonah. And I want you to see what happens at the end. Again, the main theme is that God calls us to proclaim him. This is what... 
Peter says to the church. God calls us as priests, a kingdom of priests, royal priests, to proclaim him within the storm of life, together, not separate, within the storm of life. And listen to how this ends in verses 15, the last part of 15 and 16. So it says that the sailors picked up Jonah and hurled him, the last time we'll see that verb, hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. This is an amazing silence. The idea of the sea ceasing from its raging has behind it the idea of the sea becoming motionless, completely flat, everything done. And then in a sentence that I wish that we could hear it read as it is written in its language, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. It actually reads like this. The men feared a great fear. They sacrificed a sacrifice and they vowed a vow, is what it reads. And you hear, even in the English, how those verbs build on the actions, right? They feared a great fear. They were exceedingly afraid. They sacrificed a sacrifice. They vowed a vow. The question might tempt you, were these sailors saved? Does this mean that they had prayed to God, they asked God, please don't hold this guy's blood on our hands because we're throwing him over? And then when they see the impact, they're exceedingly afraid and they offer a sacrifice and vow a vow. Look, I have no idea whether these guys are saved or not. And I'm, I actually don't think that's the point of what we should read here. What I think is the point is that they know as they had been told through the lots and as Jonah himself had said, the reason I'm here, the mission that I'm on is running away from God. I am, I am other and I'm out of here. They know that God got his man. They know that God got him. And the sea goes flat in silence and their hair stands up on end. Have you ever been in the presence of anything so powerful that it makes your hair stand up on end? Maybe I'm just this weak in the knees, but I was taking out trash in Colorado, and this woman was walking her dog, and the recycling bin had been ripped open, and, and the woman's dog was going nuts. And, and she looked at me, and she goes, be careful. The bear is right around here somewhere. And so I literally just froze, and I remember the hair standing on, on its end in my arms, and I thought, where, where's the bear? And with the electricity of my imagination, I could imagine that the bear, this thing that was so powerful to rip the, the door off, was anywhere, right? But here, the sailors are in the presence of something so much greater than that. They knew the sea. They had never seen the sea go from an increasing and an increasing tempest to absolute silence. And they held on because they knew they were in the presence of God. 
This isn't the only time that a storm has been stilled like this. We read again in three out of four Gospels of how Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. And he is the one, when they woke him in the middle of the storm and said, don't you care that we are about to perish? And he stands up and he rebukes their little faith. But then he stands up and he says, peace, be still. And in the moment of this great storm raging, the storm stops. And guess what question they asked? Not how did he do that? Not what should we do in response? But the question that they asked is who is with us right now? Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. And the answer is simple. The God of the universe who created the world by his power entered into our storm. His holiness and our disobedience, the collision resulting in God's wrath that is rightly deserved to us, he entered into that. And in the person and the work of Christ bore God's wrath for us because God loves us. God entered into our storm. I believe that this section of Jonah is given to us so that we would contemplate God's call on his people, speaking on his behalf, to enter into the storm of life and there proclaim his glories and his excellencies. Not to separate ourselves from that. And what we're going to see is that he continues to go after Jonah. But what I want you to see is that as he does, he continues to go after you and me as well. Please join me as we pray and come to this table.